Lori had a caring boyfriend, kind, generous, humorous, and wise. He would try to make Lori laugh for no reason. And, when Lori needed antibiotics in the middle of the night at 2 a.m., he would immediately jump in the car and drive to the all-night pharmacist. When he visited the supermarket, he never forget to buy Lori's favorite meatballs. When they went out together, he always held Lori's hand and opened doors for her. More than this, he truly liked Lori's family. He never complained about having to go to her family gatherings and even got on well with the most difficult relatives. Now and then, out of the blue, as a little surprise to spice up Lori's life, he would order a box of books from Amazon. When Lori told him about her day, he listened attentively, so much so that he seemed to know more about her life than she did herself. Yet, right before they were about to get married, this near-perfect boyfriend suddenly told Lori that he planned to leave her. He decided he did not want to live with kids, and Lori had child, an eight-year-old. The boyfriend had known this fact ever since the beginning of their relationship. Lori was shocked and confused. She could not believe that her boyfriend could have fallen peacefully asleep beside her every night, and that they had planned out how to live out the rest of their lives together, while secretly, all the while, he was struggling with his commitment, deciding when he should leave. Lori felt agonized and lost. As time passed, her condition grew worse. One day, she left her credit card in the supermarket. Another day, she forgot to close the cap of her fuel tank before driving off after filling up at the gas station. Yet another occasion, she was so distracted that she tripped over a step in her garage and badly bruised her knee. Lori realized that she was sinking into depression. As a psychotherapist, she knew only too well that when you plunge into depression, there is no point in wondering when the symptoms would lift. The only thing to do was to try and do one right thing, and then let this one thing motivate you to do another, and in this way, step by step, break the vicious cycle with a virtuous one. However, where should this first step take her? Which infinite possibilities could she be headed towards? At this time, friend Jen, another psychotherapist, suggested, maybe you should talk to someone. Unsurprisingly, Lori embraced the suggestion. After a round of careful selection, Lori finally dialed the number of a psychotherapist called Wendell and made the appointment for her first session. After this one call, Lori felt a lot more relaxed, although she recognized that this was merely the result of a commonly experienced placebo effect. When a person makes their first appointment for therapy before they actually set foot in the clinic, it is usual for the patient to be fired with hope. They feel as though the help they need will soon arrive. Lori was no different. She was eager to meet Dr. Wendell and have him affirm her view that her ex-boyfriend was an absolute sociopath, or, for instance, just like her friend Jen had said, he loathed kids. While seated in Wendell's office, Lori initially tried her best to remain calm. But, once she opened her mouth, any sense of decorum immediately flew out the window. She buried her face in her hands and sobbed as she tried desperately to argue that everything was her boyfriend's fault. She repeatedly accused her boyfriend of being muddled, absurd, and inhumane in his actions. Lori was confident that the therapist seated across from her would say some encouraging words or confirm her point of view. However, Dr. Wendell remained silent, observing quietly, as Lori went on, continuing to spill out more and more details about her boyfriend. When she was funnily done, he suggested that the source of Lori's pain could be something more significant than falling out of love. Lori's reaction at the time was, what a load of garbage. 
At the consultation, she emphasized to Dr. Wendell that she wanted to put the predicament of her failed relationship behind her and find personal closure, and an exit. That was all she wanted to achieve. Finally, Wendell conceded gently, even though he clearly knew, just like all other therapists know, that the presenting problem which compelled a patient to seek help was, if not entirely smoke and mirrors, usually merely a cover for a bigger underlying issue. However, to conceal the real problem, Lori had activated defensive mechanisms. What the doctor had to do was help Lori in making the gradual steps needed towards confronting the issue underling, concealed beneath those defenses. In therapeutic sessions the following weeks, Lori continued to bring up things about her boyfriend to Wendell. Meanwhile, Wendell constantly made efforts to interject, sharing perspectives that could help Lori. The doctor suggested that her ex-boyfriend could perhaps have dropped hints prior to ambushing her with the sudden breakup. Perhaps Lori herself had ignored those signs because she was unwilling to confront them. Yet all his suggestions did not help at all. Lori simply carried on repeating what she said. She continued on her own trajectory and launched into yet another round of grievances about her boyfriend. This went on for some time. The therapy was not progressing until a session when Lori was dwelling on her misfortune and bitterness as usual. Wendell took action. He stood up and used his long leg to kick Lori's foot. Although it was not painful, Lori was startled and cried out, Ouch, what was that? To which Wendell replied, Well, you seem like you're enjoying the experience of suffering, so I thought I'd help you with that. Wendell continued, highlighting Lori's obstinate refusal to let go and her endless speculations about her boyfriend's current life. These were all adding to her pain. Yet, she stubbornly continued to cling to this pain. So, the pain was surely meaningful to her. This one kick woke her up. Wendell was not wrong in what he claimed. This pain was equivalent to a placebo. If Dr. Wendell refused to allow her to talk about her boyfriend, Lori feared that she might not last another minute. At this point, Lori suddenly recalled a famous saying of American author Flannery O. O'Connor. The truth does not change according to our ability to stomach it. Lori started to come clean to Wendell about the predicament she faced in her writing career. Previously, she had signed an agreement to write a book about happiness. Now, she was unable to start writing it. Her suffering was too much. Lori had the intuition that this could be the key, the problem that she had been desperate to suppress. Suddenly, Wendell, started to sing, Half my life is over. Yeah, half my life has passed me by. I wish I could go back, change the past. Have more years, to get it right, the longer Wendell went on singing, the more enthusiastic he became. And Lori realized that it was not any famous song that he was chanting, but something he had improvised on the spot. Cause half my life is over. He finally reached the end of his song. Lori did not understand what Wendell meant until he asked her explicitly if she was ready to explore the quagmire of her internal struggle with death. At that, Lori finally understood the theme of Wendell's improvised song. She realized that the underlying issue she had been grappling with was death. Everything could be traced back to Lori's secret apprehensions around mortality. As a clear-headed outside observer, Wendell's thoughts were a few steps ahead of Lori's. Previously, he had continuously tried to identify an opportune moment to raise the issue. That day, he perceived that she was finally ready to confront her underling problems and fears. Wendell felt it was time to shed light on the truth. 
In the weeks before getting to know her boyfriend, Lori's body had broken out in a sudden and severe rash. Although the doctor said it was merely a random allergic reaction, she perceived it was a sort of ominous portent of bad things to come. In the following months, she was inclined to feel weak and lethargic, yet the doctors were unable to find anything wrong. Some doctors speculated that she might have contracted a rare form of cancer. Some considered it could be due to a viral infection. And yet others felt that it could be some form of metabolic condition. Lori's illness received many different diagnoses from different doctors, yet, ultimately, negative test results overturned all their prognosis. Her condition continued to deteriorate, and Lori had no idea what manner of ailment was devouring her. After Lori was honest and exposed her secret fear to Wendell, he described the so-called secret as just a part of Lori's overall story. In fact, Lori's story was a tale of uncertainty. Working in unison, Wendell and Lori drew together the sum of the several problems she previously shared over the course of their meetings, her breakup, writing, and health issues. Uncertainty's shadow loomed over her all the time, throughout her experiences. It was only, benefiting from Wendell's subsequent guidance, that Lori began to confront the specific issue, the central thing she feared. In so doing, she realized that uncertainty was not necessarily synonymous with a loss of hope. Uncertainty could also herald new future possibilities. I don't know what will happen next, how potentially exciting. With this exclamation, recognizing her challenge, Lori concluded her therapy. She knew that the road ahead was long but that an endlessly vibrant and exciting life lay ahead of her. For many people, to explore the innermost depths of their thoughts and feelings feels like walking into a deep, dark alley. They would often be reluctant to venture forward on their own. They, therefore, seek the support of a qualified psychotherapist. Just like Julie and Rita found Lori, who accompanied them on their successful journeys through this dark passage, Lori found Dr. Wendell. He enabled her to go down into the darkness. In reality, each and every one of us has the key to unlocking a better life, and we usually need supportive figures beside us, reminding us that we have simply misplaced that key. During the process of psychotherapy, a common paradox arises. In order to treat a patient, a psychotherapist needs to try their best to get to the core of that patient's true situation, shedding light on their weaknesses, ingrained behavioral patterns, and internal struggles. This penetrating analysis finds the possible location of the source of a problem. Yet, patients would habitually and intentionally conceal these flaws in order to maintain a dignified facade. They hope their therapist will like and admire them. In other words, the psychotherapeutic process is a game of hide-and-seek with the therapist, as much as it is for the patient an internal struggle between honesty and self-preservation. Patients often aspire to solve the problems in their lives as quickly as possible. There is no better shortcut than honesty. Honesty is a straight path that leads directly to the truth. This is not just applicable in the process of psychotherapy but to many predicaments that we encounter in life. Once you lower your guard and confront reality with candor, the problem is often much less difficult to fix. The celebrated Swiss psychologist Carl Jung once said, people will do anything, no matter how absurd, to avoid facing their own souls. However, who looks inside, awakes.